When we have extreme circumstances like corona lockdown coming together with extreme crimes like sexual-based violence happening at home, nothing good can come out of it and it makes me sick in the stomach. I don't know how it is with you, but tune into the second episode with Brianna Hertford, the second in the series looking into sexual-based violence in times of corona lockdown. So we've all heard that it's probably one out of three or one out of four women which are victims of domestic violence. And we've also heard that probably in the times of corona lockdown, it's even worse. So that's why we have Brianna here today to tell us how bad is it? And in particular, how can the victims of domestic violence protect themselves and get out, if possible, out of the abusive relationship? So thanks, Brianna, again, for being here with us now. We've already- Thanks for having me. Thank you. We've already published one episode together which went into what is domestic sexual gender-based violence, what, are the, what is the typology, mental, emotional, what are typically the strategies for getting out of it. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back, subscribe, so that you're informed about the future episode, which will also be looking into Brianna's personal story of activism in this field. So the magic is all in the previous and in the future episode, and today we will be looking into how to deal with this in the COVID crisis. So to start with, tell us what does your gut feeling tell you because we probably don't have the numbers yet about what is really happening in Mm -hmm. the bedrooms and kitchen of all the families who are now under the lockdown you've been involved with the support organizations for many years so what does your gut feeling and also probably the feedback you're getting on the ground tell you about um, domestic violence in these months yeah uh, honestly it's it's not even my gut feeling there have been lots and lots of articles and reports published in fact the the UN Secretary, Secretary General recently just said that globally the rates of domestic violence and the incidents have been spiking and increasing because so many people and so many countries are in some form of lockdown. And this is not entirely unsurprising when you think about the dynamics with intimate partner violence because, again, it is about power and control. And so, on the one hand, the abuser is in a situation as as we all are, where they don't have as much power and control over their lives anymore, right? So they have lost some sense of control in other aspects. Maybe they've lost a job or simply because they're they're restricted in their movement, etc., which is stressful for everyone. And so that's so causing... yeah. Is this how the dynamics work? That whenever there is an external shock or stressor or trigger, this then translates mm-hmm. into the perpetrator of the violence, basically releasing that pressure on their victim at home. It can. It looks different for everyone but that's definitely something that can escalate the violence is external stressors as you said but of course you know again abuse it's not a um, an anger management problem it's not a mental health problem or a drinking problem it's not necessarily because of the stress because many people are stressed right now but they're not then Mm -hmm. you know taking that out violently on their Mm -hmm. loved ones Mm -hmm. so that's important to keep in mind but that can definitely exacerbate an already existing issue. Mm -hmm. And then the other component is the fact that survivors are also very stuck and don't have a lot of control over a lot of aspects of their lives. Because normally under normal circumstances, a lot of times, I mean, I don't know, maybe you'll be able to tell us how long these kind of relationships tend to continue before they Mm -hmm. are broken off. But typically the victim would have access to support structures and societal networks and their family of friends who maybe help them get over an institution 
it and then, and then they go back into the household until probably the next one happens. And so how is it now? Yeah, so a lot of times I think um, from the outside looking in, the focus a lot of times is on this idea of leaving, of leaving the abuser and the abusive household. But from the standpoint of somebody who's worked as an advocate with survivors, mm-hmm. really the focus is on safety. Um, because for me, I can't tell someone either when is the right time to end that relationship or to end it at all. Because actually ending the relationship that year following that breakup is the most dangerous time for yes. survivors. Mm-hmm. However, I think what you're talking about is more the survival strategies that a lot of survivors develop, such as, okay, my partner has just exploded. It's been a really violent episode or just a really, really scary uh, episode, or I can feel it mounting into that. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to go to a friend's house or I'm going to go to my parents' house or I'm going to leave the house and go to work. You know, even that. Sometimes that is a tactic that works really well with a lot of survivors. So in the previous episode, we've discussed the whole issue of boundary setting and how in the cases of emotional and mental balance, there's these cycles ongoing when the episodes happen and the person is somehow surfing in and out of of the violent episode into their Mm -hmm. normal uh, professional world and then probably coming home to it until the next episode happens. And so I'm wondering how is it now when people are under the lockdown and these uh, typical strategies, as you're saying, which allow them to stay in without increasing the safety risk by leaving Mm -hmm. the relationship? How is it that you feel the victims are dealing with or what would be your advice to those who are listening to us? What what is it that they can do really? Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, it's going to be really individualized, but I think one thing that all of the articles and reports that I've been reading that has been mentioned is that there has been a very, very dramatic increase in the amount of calls to police or utilizing really innovative solutions or uh, strategies that countries have come up with, like for example in France, being able to say a code word at the pharmacy if you are experiencing abuse in the home and then the pharmacist will call the police if you don't have access to a phone or if you are worried about making that call while in the household. So there are lots of different strategies going on at the minute that countries are coming up with. However, there's been this spike in calling the police simply because the police are one of the only options that people have at the minute and a spike in calling hotlines or using um, texting services. So there's been a lot of um, adaption on multiple fronts, right? Yeah, because it's the so- kind of innovation of, of support services, which we are probably unlikely to see in the other cycles are almost unwanted innovation, right? We wouldn't want to see the spike in order to come up with this kind of innovative right. support. Right, structures. of course. But I'm thinking, yeah. what is the impact on the service providers then? If you're mentioning all kinds of NGOs, which you were also in with and the police mm-hmm. which are also under extreme pressure now yes, and there's absolutely. a lot of safety risk outside that the police has to keep wow. under control and for the NGOs who are also managing their staff and are probably under a lot of financial pressure now with all the fundraising campaigns being down as people prioritize less uh, and also with their income being minimized prioritize less uh, any kind of uh, charity support etc so what do you think it's doing to the whole infrastructure of support organizations that the victims normally have at their disposal? I think, as you said, there have been innovative ways of trying to circumnavigate this. And I think that there's been a much more attempt at a collective effort because Mm -hmm. in general, the service providers that I've always worked with or been in contact with is looking for that solidarity. But right now, 
in this pandemic, one silver lining is that there is a lot of solidarity. There are a lot of people who want to help. There are a lot of people who are tuned in, who are wanting to reach out and just check in on friends, family, etc. So there are good avenues in that sense. And we need to continue that because it takes all of us to be able to change a lot of the barriers that exist and a lot of the reasons why domestic violence continues. But in yeah. general, during lockdown, I think certainly being a support for someone to the best of your ability, because as it is, isolation is a huge component of abuse. The abuser tries to cut away your supports mm -hmm. and being able to check in on people, being able to provide information about what the state is offering, whatever country you're mm -hmm. living in. Mm -hmm. For example, that these services are still operating in most places, emergency shelters, hotel rooms, whatever it is, governments are finding really creative ways to mm -hmm. say, hey, we still have space for you. Don't ever feel like you're stuck between going outside and facing danger from a global pandemic or having to stay inside yeah. where it's also really dangerous. Yes. And so this channel is normally about the big leadership at the European level. And so I think this kind of pandemic is an important kind of example of us really having to show up at an individual level and looking much yeah. closer at what's happening in the homes that like we are yeah. part of. And so we are much more present to the communities that we are part of, not only because people are checking much more on their own personal safety and interest in who are the people yeah. living in their households I mean in the in the buildings they live in but also from this perspective I think it's so much more important that we show up as leaders in our smaller communities as a compensation yeah. for the for the bigger world that we are normally part of that we don't have access to now and so I'm wondering what do you feel is the best way of handling the situations if somebody is facing a situation in their building if you're mm -hmm. really observing a behavior in one of the yeah. flats for instance if you hear noise not even speaking about the kids if you if kids are involved i feel that's a whole kind of different story mm -hmm. but even if it's violence that you hear happening among adults what is the best way of intervening yeah in any case any intervention the first thing you have to do is make sure that that you're going to be safe and then also try to factor in how to keep the survivor safe and minimize risk in that situation in the situation you're talking about where you hear something behind a wall that's really tough because you might not know that neighbor. So you don't know if the safest thing is to call the police or not. However, if you are concerned, I would say, you know, you can try to reach out to them. If you do have a relationship with them, I certainly encourage to just check in, see how things are going. Um, keep in mind that a lot of people in these situations will not be able to actually speak freely or their phones might be being controlled or checked. You know, take this with a grain of salt, but certainly check in. And then absolutely, if things yeah. are sounding really bad, certainly call the police or even, you know, if you suspect something, then uh, at least the police can come in and check. Yeah. And so in the subsequent episode for the subscribers to the channel, we will go more into your personal story of how you can really at the professional level be involved with these kind of services. But if we really stick to the COVID period now, what is it? What are the other ways of us showing up for the cause now? What, what are the ideas or suggestions that you would have for those listening to us on how can we be agents of support in some way? for even if the situation is not happening in our building obviously we can probably help fundraise for the organizations uh, but what are the ideas that you have in mind on how can we help 
the victims get through this very, very difficult period now? Yeah, I mean, I think on an individual level, as I said, providing support, providing a space where you can listen, where you can offer information and options, even if those are very limited at the minute, unfortunately. But from a personal perspective, you can certainly be educating yourself more. You can be either doing more reading or actively getting involved with an organization. And I think a big piece is, again, that solidarity I'm talking about, really being aware that right now we are seeing how marginalized communities are really, are really vulnerable. And so when you think about something, anything to do with a social justice issue like domestic Mm -hmm. or sexual violence, Mm -hmm. be in mind that marginalized communities will be more at risk. And we really need to be inclusive in our strategies and our policymaking. You know, for example, we can't not... Who who do you cover as marginalized communities? Is it migrants, Mm -hmm. LGBTI, or how do you classify, uh, what classifies somebody as being marginalized? Again, it depends on the context a little bit, uh, or a lot. (laughs) Um, I think typically across the board, migrants, certainly, especially undocumented migrants, are very marginalized. And the LGBTQI community, very marginalized as well. Um, of course, we've, we've tried to increase the rights and protections of both of these um, communities, but it's very hard to maintain that both in a state of emergency and also to actually enforce that and implement that. Um, but there are many other communities tend to fall off the radar, whether it's uh, people with disabilities, So whether that's mental illness, including substance abuse, or somebody with a cognitive impairment or physical impairment, or even thinking about homelessness, right? And how that's going to impact somebody's ability to find the resources to reach safety, right? So these are all things to keep in mind. So assuming that you're a victim of sexual violence or domestic violence, assuming you have access to technology, you can educate yourselves, what would be your advice for the victims to somehow empower themselves while they're in this situation because Mm. one of the biggest fears that they are probably feeling now is that none of us knows how long this is going to last right so this is not like period that we have to go through because it's already been several months for some people in some countries yeah and so what if it's gonna go on for several months what is it that they can do for the situation to change and for them to somehow continue living their life with the person while under the lockdown yeah yeah, I think oh, there there are so it's many a big things. One, right? so many, yes, that's a huge. Uh, a huge I, I guess that's also the main one. Well, because obviously people cannot be calling the help desks because I guess the capacities right. are Sometimes, just not unlimited. Yeah, I I think a big thing that everyone needs to be during doing during this lockdown more generally, but especially as somebody who is a survivor of domestic or sexual violence, is practicing a lot of self-care. And I don't use that as the buzzword because sometimes it's used as the buzzword and it's um it's something that really should be a daily practice. It's something where we should be checking in with ourselves, being in tune with what we need and figuring out a variety of different coping strategies. Right now, all of us are experiencing a situation where we don't have access to some of our really important strategies that we use on a daily basis for self-care. So it's going to be even more important to be in touch with ourselves and to figure out where your level is in terms of what you need and Mm -hmm. then figuring out how to get that support 
and how to recharge your batteries. Can you give uh, us a couple of examples? Because normally it's a lot talked about in the normal healthy context when we're just stressed and overworked. How do you take care of yourself at home to recharge yeah. the batteries and, and get yourselves back in flow? But in the context of domestic violence, what would you typically advise? In which areas of life could it be? And what kind of practices? Anyone who has experienced trauma, you might have, for example, panic attack. You might have episodes where you dissociate. You might experience a variety of symptoms of that trauma, such as anxiety or depression, insomnia. There are a lot of ways that this really impacts your life and your mental and emotional well-being. So there are a variety of tools, things that you can do or try to help mitigate mm -hmm. those. Mm -hmm. uh, we won't get into those because we certainly won't have enough time, but that's that's one instance where being able to name that and say, oh, okay, I feel very numb right now. I feel very dissociated, like I'm watching this scene. I'm not even a part of my own body. Mm -hmm. There are grounding techniques that you can look up online and you can practice them. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. So I don't know if you want to add anything at this stage, specifically in the context of the COVID crisis. I think the only thing, just returning to self-care a little bit as well, is I think you touched on on this that there are multiple ways of looking at self-care a lot of times people think about physical well-being such as making sure you get out for walks and making sure you're getting enough sleep and you're you're eating well etc but there's also self-care in terms of your emotional and mental well-being a big piece to that is boundary setting going back to this idea about boundaries and so i would really encourage all of us when it is safe to do so to practice setting boundaries. Because even though we're no longer in physical offices, time, for example, is really important. And it's important to say, okay, it is now six o'clock. It's time for me to eat. I'm shutting off my laptop. I'm turning off my phone. I am not in office anymore. Um, and of course, in situations where it's an abusive relationship, it's really challenging to practice setting boundaries because an abuser will always push them or break them. That's part of that emotional abuse. And so it's just really important to stay in tune with yourself, trust your gut feeling. When you do feel like your boundaries are being broken, if it's safe to set a boundary or to reinforce a boundary, do so. If it's not safe to do so, then again, back to self-care. And then just, as you said, remembering this is temporary. We're all going to get through this one day at a time. Eventually, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. And so this was a special dive into the COVID situation now. And so for those of you who were inspired by Brianna's story, click on the subscribe down below so that you're notified about the next episode. We will look more deeper into how Brianna in her career was supporting victims of gender-based violence and how you can also create your personal stand or engagement with the community if that's something that is close to your heart. So thanks for now and see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening. For follow-up, you can find us on all major podcast platforms and all social media platforms, including our Instagram, Lights on Europe. So feel free to go there now and leave us your review, likes, feedback, as well as tips on who would you like to hear interviewed next time. Bye!